This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. G'day, thanks for joining us. My name's Nathan. I'm the lead pastor of LifeGate Church. I have a message entitled, You Have a Part to Play. We're going to pray and then we're going to dive in. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word where it speaks to us. Give us ears and hearts that are open to hear from you. Father, remind me of what I prepared and use this for your purpose and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I started coaching soccer about five years ago, and I've been coaching kids' teams in in the local area. At the beginning of every year, the president of the club gives approval for me to coach the teams. Now, the uh, president, the president of the club, well, he's the boss. He is the person who sets the vision of the club, the strategy, the goals. He writes policies and tells how the club is going to function. He's the one who collects the registrations of all the kids and organizes where he's going to put the kids in which teams. And then he chooses the coaches. He then delegates the kids to the coaches and it's, and it's the coaches' jobs to train the kids, to teach them how to trap, how to pass, how to tackle, how to move and, and get available to receive the ball. It's the coach's job to set a, a vision and a strategy for the team, to look at all the players and see their different areas of gifting and skill and work out what is, what is the best place for them to play on the field. The coach encourages the players. He communicates or she communicates what he wants the players to do. And then it's up to the kids, the team, the players to go out onto the field and play that strategy. Now, every player has a really important part to play. They have a job to do, which the coach has communicated to them. The kids are, the, the players grab what the coaches have said, the skills, the strategy, and then they're called to implement that on the field knowing their place, knowing their position, everyone doing their job. And the team encourages one another, supports one another, fills in where, where there's a weakness in another player, and together they hopefully win the game. And I share this analogy about a soccer club because it's an analogy that's similar to God's church, where the president of God's church is Jesus, where Jesus is the boss. He's the one that sets the vision for his church. He gives us a strategy for his church. He tells the church how he wants the church to function. Part of that is collecting registrations for the church, and that's when people choose to commit their life to Jesus. And then Jesus gets those registrations, gets those Christians and puts them in teams or puts them in churches all around the globe. Jesus chooses who the coach is or who the pastor is, and it's the pastor's job to shepherd the people in the church. It's the pastor's job to equip the church, is to help them around the areas of gifting that, that, that are Jesus has given them and to encourage them in those areas. The coach needs to look at every player, every person in the church, work out their, their, their skills, work out their passions and encourage them to use the skills and passions within the team. They're to encourage, they're to speak life. And then it's up to the church, the people in the community to then go and play the game where every person has been given a gift by Jesus, a position to play on the field by the coach and, or by the pastor, and then to play their role in the church community so that the church can be all that God wants it to be. This morning, 
the, the, our title of this message is, we all have a part to play. Friends, we all have a part to play in God's church. You know, when you hear preachers today, many uh, preachers preach to people's Mondays. One of the people I look up to, Brian Houston, talks about that. He says, I want to preach to people's Mondays, which means on a Sunday when people gather together or they watch church online, they are taught and equipped and encouraged to live out the Christian faith. And they're, and they're called to do that in their universities, in their schools, in their families, wherever they go throughout the week. And that's really important. And, and, we, and we should be speaking about that. But this morning, I want to talk about each Christian playing their part in the Christian church. You know, when a, when a person becomes a Christian, it's about saying that Jesus is the Lord of their life. And by doing so, you become part of God's family, which the Bible describes like a body, where each person, each Christian is, is like a part of the body. Some are fingers, some are hands, some are arms, some are necks, some are heads, some are, well, Jesus is the head. That's important. Jesus is the head. Other parts are different parts of the body. And, and it's as every part of the body functions, then the church fulfills the calling that God has for it. That's why it's vitally important that every single person plays their part in God's church. My uh, son, Aiden, he's, he uh, loves Lego, and, and I asked him to build me a, a little Lego man, and this is, this is what he built me. And the reason I asked him to build it is because Lego is lots of fun, but it's also great when we're talking about the church because this man is made up of lots and lots of different Lego pieces. And so is the church. God gives gifts to, to the church, to people in the church, and people are all different, but we all come together and form the body. And just like a Lego man where if he misses his leg, he's not complete, so it is in the church where someone is not fulfilling their calling, is not doing their bit, well then the church isn't complete. It's only as every person comes together does the thing that God calls them to do, that the church can be all that God wants his church to be. Every part, every person has a really important part to play. This morning I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 4. Now we, we looked at the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4 last week. But, and what we want to do over the next few weeks is go from chapter 4 to chapter 5 to chapter 6. And this morning... I want to look at chapter 4, verse 7 through 16. And it continues this theme of unity, but it talks about how each person needs to play their part in the church so that we are unified, that we grow to maturity, and we be all that God wants us to be as his church. Last week, I asked this question, is unity really possible? And we talked about how God desires unity within his church. That's what he desires. The church isn't a place for power, for power plays or pushing others down so that you can get your agenda. No, it's not about that at all. It's about every person coming together to be unified in Christ to fulfill the purpose that God has for his church. And, and the phrase that we use is to see every person live in freedom and to fulfill their purpose, to live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for people's lives. That's what we see here. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. And, and in one sense, the uh, church is unified 
Because when someone comes to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, well then they become part of his church. And then every person that does that who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, they're all part of his church, regardless of colour, regardless of race, regardless of culture, regardless of socioeconomic um, their, their situation, regardless of their education, regardless of where they are from around this planet, everybody who commits their life to Jesus is part of his church. And in one sense, we are unified. But then in the first six verses, and actually the, pretty much um, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about how to live unified. And the context is that he's writing to the Jews and the Gentiles. The first three chapters of Ephesians are about the Jews and Gentiles. And now that it's through Christ that both the Jews and the Gentiles can be in relationship with God. And the thing about the, uh, the uh, Jews and the Gentiles, they were really different. Different culture, different languages, different ways of living, different, so different. And yet now, because of Christ, who is the unifying factor, they are now one body, where they got these different cultures and languages and behaviors and styles and emphasis. And now they're all together in the body of Christ. And Paul writes about how they are to live like they're unified. And this is what we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I just want to go back over what we looked at last week because I want to highlight it because it's really important. The first thing he says in verse 1 is that he encourages his readers to live a life worthy of the calling they've received. Here it is. As a prisoner of the Lord then, this is the Apostle Paul writing from prison, I urge you, I, I, I plead with you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Your calling is your new identity in Christ, that you are now forgiven, that, that, that you are loved, that Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose again to give you life. And Paul says here to use that as a springboard, your, your new identity through Christ, use it as a springboard to live in a way that honors him. The next thing he says, he, then he talks about actions for unity. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Actions for unity. And the third thing he says is the things that unify us. This is what we read. He says, there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here, remember the context that the Jews and the Gentiles have come from vast different cultures, language groups, different nations, different emphasis, so much different things. And Paul says here, let's not focus on all the things that, that, that are different. Let's focus on the things that we have in common. And that's a beautiful picture for the church today. You know, in God's church and, and, and in individual churches like LifeGate Church, the church that I pastor, there are people with different emphasis, different cultures, different backgrounds, different language groups. We are a, a multicultural community. And Paul's encouragement for us is not to focus on the things that are different, but let's focus on the things that are the same. Let's celebrate the differences. Let's celebrate the diversity. But let's focus on the things that unify us in Christ and all the things that he says here. And then from verse 7 onwards, Paul then talks about gifts. And he says that everybody in the church has been given a gift by Jesus. Now you might think, well, how that's, how's, that, how's that unity if everyone's got different gifts? You know, See, Jesus doesn't want a church where everybody's the same. 
He loves diversity and he gives people different gifts. And as we all come together, we then become the body of Christ that, that, our, that our God wants for us, where every person doing their bit. And that's what we see here from verse 7. So let's now read the text, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 16, and then we'll go back to verse 7 and pull the text apart. This is what we read. But to each one of us, each one of us, I love that, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. What's this grace? It's around gifts. Verse 8, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11. So Christ gave the apostles, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. There's the word unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in, the, in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. A great passage. There's heaps in it. Let's now pull it apart. Let's go to verse 7, and I'll break this down for you. In verse 7, Paul writes this, But to each one, not some, but to each Christian, if you're a Christian watching this, Jesus has given you a gift. He's given you a gift. And God wants you to use that gift in the church, in his community. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, when we see the word grace in Scripture, we usually think of the, uh, what, what Christ has done for us on the cross. And we use that acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. But grace when we read it in the New Testament, isn't just talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. In, in some places, it talks about grace as God's empowering presence. And here, it's talking about God's grace as something that he's given us in relation to gifts, which is what we see in verse 8, when, which is in the next verse, when Paul writes, when he ascended on high, he, he also um, he, he, he gave gifts to men. But each one is given a gift just as Christ apportioned it. Then we have verse 8. So the, 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 the point I want to make in verse 7 is that everybody has a gift and everybody has a part to play. Let's now go to verse 8. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to, to his people. He gave gifts to his people. Now here, you'll notice that it's indented, that it's in inverted commas, and Paul is quoting from Psalm 68. Now Psalm 68, you can look back and read it. Um, is a psalm where the writer is celebrating the victory of God. 
And I wrote down some of the things here in Psalm that we read in Psalm 68. He celebrates God's victory by pulling people out of Egypt through the Exodus. God's victory at Mount Sinai, defeating the enemies as they went into the promised land. God's victory as he went into Jerusalem. And then he talks about how God got, how, how, how God got um, the resources from the people and then gave it, gave gifts to his people. And that's what we see here. God is victorious and Jesus is victorious through his resurrection and now has given gifts to his people. And then he goes in verse 9, which is a big aside, and he goes, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to, to fulfill the whole universe. Now, this is a verse, verse 9 is an interesting text, and, and the commentators aren't exactly sure what it means by Jesus descending to the lower earthly regions. What does that mean? Well, there's three thoughts. The first thought is it simply means that uh, Jesus came from heaven, the greatest place, to earth. And not just to, a, to, to earth as normal, but he went to the lowest part of earth, meaning when he went to the cross and died on it, that was the lowest of the lowest of the lowest point on the earth when he died on the cross, the most humiliating way to die. And that's one view about what this means. Another view is that this lower earthly regions is that when, when our Jesus died, he went to the place of sleep, Meaning that when our body dies, our, our, our body returns to dust, but our spirit, our, our spirit and our soul go to this place where, where our Jesus is, but it's a place of sleep. And we wait there asleep until the return of Jesus, where then we rise, Jesus gives us new bodies, and then we have the uh, day of judgment um, after that, and then, he, and, and then eternity. And that's the second view. Or the third view around these lower earthly regions is the idea that we see in 1 Peter 3, which, which says that Jesus went and preached to those in prison from the time of Noah. Now, there's a whole new thing to talk about there. I'm not going to go into any more details, but there's three thoughts where we're not exactly sure what Jesus means, but we can see Paul's point. And Paul's point is Jesus' victory. He, he descended low, whatever the low is, but then he ascended um, he who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Paul is again celebrating who Jesus is and celebrating Jesus' victory over death, over all the stuff of the earth, and is now seated at the right hand of God. And he's the one who's giving gifts to his people. That's that difficult text there. Now, when we go to verse 11, we see some of the gifts that Jesus gives the church. And in this case, the gift is the person. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And friends, we call this the fivefold ministry gifts today. The apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. The apostle um, means sent one. Someone who is sent, goes and plants churches, has authority over these churches, works in signs and wonders. And when we think apostle, we, we automatically think there are 12 apostles that are the disciples of Jesus. But then there's Paul as well. And the uh, New Testament talks about another 10. So the New Testament talks about about 20 apostles or just over 20 apostles in the New Testament, people who went and planted and, and, and oversaw churches. The prophets are people who foretell and foretell and foretell. Foretell is where... It, is where they say, I believe God's about to do this in your life. That's foretelling. But 
That's, no, that's foretelling. God's about to do this in your life. Fourth telling is where they say, this is God's truth right now for this season. You need to be reminded of this truth right now in that season. And that's how the New Testament prophets work. The evangelists are people who go and preach the message of Jesus and see lots of people come to know him. The pastors are the shepherds of the church and the teachers are those that teach the scriptures, equip the church to equip his people for works of service. Now, these fivefold ministry gifts aren't the only gifts. You can look at Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at that later. You look at 1 Corinthians 12, and you see many other gifts that, that our Jesus gives the church. And actually, there aren't many of these fivefold ones. There aren't many apostles today. There aren't many prophets today. There aren't many events. There's not many pastors and teachers compared to the size of the church. And the reason there's not many is because these fivefold ministry gifts are called to equip the church. They're called to train the church. Notice the, the fivefold, the pastor, prophet, these guys here aren't called to do the works of service. They're not called to do all the works of the church. And in some churches, pastors get stuck doing all the jobs. That is not how, to, that's not how God designed it. Jesus designed it. He designed it that these fivefold ministry gifts would equip his people for works of service. So as a pastor, my task is to equip you, the church, to be all that God wants you to be, for, God, for, for, for you to use your gifts in, in God's church, for the building up of the church, for the encouraging of the church, for, for the teaching of the church, for the loving and the caring and, and doing all these, all these things for the church. That is the thing that, uh, that uh, God wants you to do. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about some of the different gifts. Now, I don't think that the Bible has a complete list of gifts. I think that um, Paul writes about the many gifts, but I believe there's many more in the church. But here's something he writes about in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace, there it is again, given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, well then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then encourage. If it's giving, then give, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The idea that, that, uh, that God has given the church gifts, God has given you on the other side of this camera a gift and he wants you to use it. If it's leadership, do it diligently. If he's given you the gift of encouragement, well then encourage. If he's given you the gift of teaching, then teach. And, and the whole context of Romans chapter 12 and the whole, the whole context of Ephesians chapter 4 and the whole context of 1 Corinthians 12 is that we're to use our gifts within the church community. Now, that doesn't mean we, we are, don't use them outside the church. Absolutely we do. But I want us to focus today on using the gifts that God has given us within his community. And look at what happens when we do. Going back to verse 4, the, um, going, the, the, um, the second part of verse 12, he's just said, I'll go back, he's just said, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Does the body of Christ need building up? Absolutely. Some people think that apostles no longer exist today. Prophets no longer exist today. Well, 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 well my response to that is, is the church built up yet? Have we reached the full measure of the fullness of Christ. No, we haven't. So we still need those gifts and they still exist today. He says that the prophets equip the church to, for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As people use their gifts in service, as people serve in the church, the church is built up. As the church is built up, we then go to unity. As each person becomes more and more the person who God wants them to be, as people become more and more Christ-like, no wonder we become more unified. And notice how we're unified. We're unified in our knowledge, what we know about Christ, but also in our faith in Christ. We are unified in our faith in Him and in our knowledge in Him. Knowledge is about knowing who He is, but faith is about trusting Him. And God wants a church that trusts Him. As we grow in unity, we then become mature. Wow, that's a beautiful picture of of God's church. A mature church, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, when when the um, Bible uses the word, this attaining word, it, um, I'm just trying to find it on my, on, on my notes here. Here it is here. The word, the word attaining literally means to come to meet. So to come to meet the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As the church grows and builds and gets unified and mature, we come to meet the fullness of Christ, that we then live out the thing. We are live the way that, that our God desires for us that we as the body of Christ become like Christ on the earth with every person doing their part, loving, serving, doing all the things that Jesus do. We then come to meet. We are do the things that, that our Jesus wants us to do. You know, there's this pattern here that we see in this text. It starts here with the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists. They are called to equip the saints. And as the people are equipped, people then use their gifts in service, which leads to the church being built up, which leads to unity and knowledge and faith, which leads to maturity and which leads to the fullness of Christ. When every person plays their part, when you do your part, when you serve, you build up your church, which leads to unity and maturity, and then we lead to the fullness of Christ. We, we are come to that place where we're doing the very thing that our Jesus wants for us on the earth. That is why it's so important that every one of us plays our part, that every single one of us does our bit in the church. We are called, we all have a part to play. You know, my, my kids growing up loved uh, puzzles. And, and here's, a, here's a puzzle here of, a, of hands. And I've deliberately um, tried to keep it simple. Otherwise, I can imagine that I'd uh, get it wrong. But here it's about a puzzle where you uh, get all the pieces and you put them together like this. But then what happens when you run out of pieces? What happens when you put them all together and you go, Oh dear, I'm missing one. The puzzle's not complete, is it? And you search the house and you look around the house and the kids look through their drawers and under the bed and somewhere usually under the bed, they find the last piece and they put that piece together because just like a puzzle, every piece is important for that puzzle 
to be completed. And so it is in the church that every person's part is really important to play. Everyone must play a part. I love watching the, the, the NRL and watching, um, that's the rugby league if you don't know what the NRL is. And I, I love watching the games play and, and I, I hear the commentators talk about how tries are scored and they show the replay and regularly. Team score tries because someone's out of position. Someone's not, not, someone on the defending team is, is not doing their job. And as a result, the attacking team go through and score a try. You know, when we're not in position, when we're not doing the thing that our God wants us to do, the body of Christ suffers. When people don't play their part, we suffer. The body doesn't function like it should, hence the importance that every person plays their part in God's church. Paul goes on in this text to talk about um, false teachers next. And he says, then um, a mature body, a, a body that's living as the church lives as it should, he says, then will we no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching and blown here and sorry, I better read it properly, tossed back and forth by the ways and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Back in the early church, they had false teachers, and today we have false teachers. And the people who are most at threat of a false teacher are those who are infants, those who are young in their faith, those who haven't got the knowledge yet to check what they're hearing with Scripture. And it's only as we become mature that we can hear false teaching and recognizing it because we know the Scriptures. He goes on in verse 15 and says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, a better translation is, um, truthing in love, the word speak doesn't fit in, in the actual Greek. It says rather, truthing in love, in other words, doing love, maintaining love, keep living out love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Christ is the head of the church for, for Jesus, for him, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does it work. Friends, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one who holds us together. And, and we function as a body as each part does its work, as each part does, it, does its work. Friends, it's so vital that each one of us plays our part in God's church. So really practically, as we come to the end of this message, Really practically this morning, how do you know what your gifts are? Here's four thoughts really briefly. Number one, you can do a gift survey. There's heaps of them. They exist. Do a gift survey and they can show you what your gifts are. Number two, what are you passionate about? Think about what you're passionate about because that usually leans towards the gifts that Jesus has given you. Three, try some things. Get involved in different areas of church life. Pray. Get involved with the prayer. Get involved with the, the educating of children if it's appropriate. Become part of our pastoral care team. Get involved with our youth or our young, young adults. Get in an area where you can use your gifts. Try some things. And number four, ask somebody else. Ask them, what do you think my gifts are? And see what they say. Another really practical thing I want to ask is this question. I want to point out three things that stop us playing our part. Here's the first one. Lacking motivation. You know, maybe you've been in the church for a while and you're going, oh, I've done that before. Can't really be bothered to use my gifts again. 
Well, let this motivate you. In this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Your calling is your new identity. That Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. He rose again and he's made you his own. You are a new creation. God has done something incredible in your life. Allow that to, to motivate you, to springboard you into using your gifts in the church again. Get motivated by looking at what Christ has done for you. Allow that to drive you. The second thought, three things that stop us playing our part is number two is this. You feel like you've got nothing to offer. Maybe you're at home and you're hearing this message and you're thinking, Nathan, that's all fine for you. You can, you can do this and you can do that, but, but, but what can I do? Well, let me take you to Ephesians 4, 7 that says, but to each one of us, each one of us, Grace has been given. That's the context of the gifts. The gifts have been given us as Christ apportioned it. God has gifted you. You have something to offer. If you want some help, talk to a leader. If you're watching this online, put a comment in the chat box. Um, go to the Start Here page. Put your details in. Tell us about you and we can help you use your gifts. And finally, number three, maybe you're too busy. Maybe there's so much going on. You are so full in life. You haven't got the capacity to use your gifts in your church. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to rethink your priorities because it's God's will for you. The Bible says it very clearly in Ephesians 4 that it's God's will for you that you use your gift in the church to help the church be built up, to go to unity, maturity, and to be the fullness of all that God has for us. So let me encourage you to check your priorities. So here's the question for you today. What part are you playing in God's church? What part are you playing? I started this message this morning talking about the soccer and how Jesus is like the president. He's the one who calls the shots, who sets the direction. He calls people to be coaches or pastors, and the pastors are here to encourage you, to equip you, to celebrate you, to release you to use your gifts, but then it's up to you, you on the other side of this screen, to use what God has given you to serve others, to build others up so we go to unity, maturity, and be all that God wants His church to be. But it only happens as each person plays their part, as each part of the puzzle is there, as each part of the Lego man, each part of the Lego piece is there that makes the body of Christ. Each one of us needs to play our part. Your gift could be encouraging. Your gift could be praying. It could be teaching. Your gift could be um, gifts in administration. It could be gifts in caring or leading or whatever it is. You have a part to play and God wants you to use your part. Now, if you are not yet using the gift that God has given you, my encouragement is for you to talk to your life group leader or go out to the start here desk and talk to someone there who can support you. Or if you're watching online, again, go to the Start Here page, put in your details, and one of our team will connect with you. Because we as a church want to help you be all that God wants you to be. He, we want to help you fulfill your calling. You know, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close. Thanks for listening to this today. I encourage everybody to be, to be the church, to be the church who God wants us to be. And that happens as every one of us, we all have a part to play. And it's as we play that part, we are the church that He wants us to be. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us about the gifts that you've given us. And it's clear that you have a part for each one of us to play. Father, I pray that we'll be aware of our gifts and that each one of us will be deliberate in using what you have given us for the benefit of of your church, your body, that that we would serve your church, that we would help your church be built up so we reach unity, maturity, and be the church you want us to be on this planet. Father, empower us, put people around us to help us. Father, help us to recognise the importance of our part and be all that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for joining us for LifeGate Church Online. We'd love to continue connecting with you and we want you to get the most out of this online experience. So we'd love for you to join us on Wednesday night at 8.15. After our Wednesday night program, we're going to have an opportunity to connect and be encouraged on Zoom. See you then. Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. 